Hello and welcome to another episode of Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. Today I'm here with Agnieszka Poprivka, who is uh, a member of Pixel Lake, which is how we know each other, and she's going to talk to us about some experiments in cultural democracy in organising cultural spaces. First, Agnieszka, could you just introduce yourself? So, as you mentioned, uh, my name is Agnieszka Pokrywka. Uh, as you said, I am a member of Pixelake, but uh, most of all, um, I come from the background of art and technology, or science. And uh, while working with technology, I've been always very much interested in open uh, source paradigm, let's say which besides of uh, application in software or hardware I started to be very interested in applying it in a, in a artistic uh, practice and also participatory um, art forms and uh, this led me through, through, through different through organizing different sorts of workshops uh, festivals uh, we're using this this, this uh, concept of uh, and, and of course practice of openness and, and participation was very much uh, in the core of the activities and then of course from openness and participatory um, terms uh, decentralization and non-hierarchical system of organization naturally came in and uh, which in the last years uh, ended up uh, in in being um, realized in a, in a spaces I've been co-running in Helsinki in Finland uh, through from 2016 to 2018. So the first of these spaces was called Temporary, and right. it was in Hakanimi. Tell us about tell us a bit about that. How did you how did you set it up? Why did you set it up? You, you set it up with John Fail, yes? Right, right. This is very important to to mention John here. I mean, actually, we, at that time, it was 2015, we were both uh, Pixelake members and um, we were co-directing Pixelake Fest Festival of, with a title, I think it was Living Spaces, and it was very much about experimenting actually with the format of the festival and decentralizing the structure, making events not in a very formal or obvious locations trying to suck in as our public people who were maybe not necessarily aiming to go to visit this festival but also randomness and so on and so forth and after the festival we were thinking okay this was this couple days of the festival we work I don't know how many months to do it a lot of actually resources and time went into it so what if we could exercise similar concept but all year round what it would be if we would start to celebrate this, you know, decentralization and, and playfulness with a form of, of organizing itself. And we started to coin this, this concept of a, of a space which would be basically self-running. And uh, we, would like, we wanted to um, apply um, software and hardware tools to, to help it run. It came along with one of the deadlines to one of the foundations which are funding culture in Finland and we happened to get this grant so it really speeded us, us up to work on the physical implementation of the project space which would be based on briefly on these concepts which I described. So you found a space that was 
uh, a short-term rental or had been unused. Exactly. I mean, the point was that we had all those kind of uh, conceptual ideas, like how it should work. And then we were even considering to, hey, let's ask some organization and maybe they will allow us to to test it on them. But then we realized who will be so, you know, I don't know, trustful to us, you know, although, like, um, we never... Uh, exercise this this kind of format in uh, in in this form uh, before, so we realized that we need to test it on ourselves. And however, from the beginning, it, it we didn't aim to have a physical space, especially that we noticed that maybe Helsinki has more spaces than it's needed. But we realized that we will not move on if we will not test our concepts and imaginations in practice. So you found this space which you rented with the grant you got from the foundation and then you set up membership structure with a kind of virtual currency attached to it. Mm -hmm. So how did that work or how was that supposed to work? Well, so maybe I will also start from one of our motivations which happened there, which was um, that at least in Helsinki from our point uh, of view at that time, we really believe that there is all very highly organized art and culture, and then there is like a super precarious uh, culture organizations, uh, which usually are very not much sustainable to run over longer times. Talking, you know, about burnouts and, and people who can who cannot just uh, run it for too many years. Um, we were thinking about what could fill this gap. So our idea was, as I mentioned before, through those uh, software and hardware and treating participation uh, as a currency, how we could benefit uh, people, how we could reward people and kind of balance the energy you put in uh, to, to running something, to create something, which could be something else than money. So I, had, I experienced it from the other end, as it were. I experienced it as, a, as somebody who joined it. And so from my experience, when I joined, I got a membership card, which was digital or electronic, and I loaded it into the machine every time I entered temporary, and then loaded it in again when I left. And this registered how long I'd been there and gave me temps, which were the unit of currency. Actually, it was a little bit different, but you were was close it? enough. Yeah. See, I was, I was baffled from so, the start. So, uh, different events. So, let's say that today there is a, I don't know, concert, let's say. So, uh, for the participation in a concert, depending on the kind of a level of participation, in a way, because concert is quite passive event, you would be getting, let's say, five temps. This was this currency from temporary temps. Mm-hmm which was um, five tokens you could accumulate on your, on your account and therefore spend it in order to pledge for events you proposed or events other people, other members proposed. So you could express the, the, your support. Hey, I like it, I will come, I will give you this couple points to, to make your idea happen. Because when you were proposing in a system your idea, usually depending how much time it was taking, uh, this was the amount of um, of the points it had to collect from the members in order to be scheduled. Uh, so you were not measured by time, 
the amount of points you are getting, but by kind of it, how challenging the event you've been participating in was in case of participation. So, for example, there will be some crazy workshop where, I don't know, people would really be challenged to some experimental interactions, probably you would earn a little bit more. Let me try to explain again then how the system worked, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> we'll play Guess How Much Owen Remembers. Um, okay, so when I went, I uh, had my card read, and then when I left, I had my card read, and depending what the event was I'd been to, then I got given, for my attendance, a set amount of temps. It was also the case that temporary was open at some points 24 hours a day, and just turning up, even if I just turned up to sit around and make coffee or sit around and talk, I would also get a, le- a base level of temps for my mm-hmm, attendance. Exactly. And then, if I wanted to run a poetry reading or a baking class or an Arduino workshop or whatever, I would not be able to do this unless I got support from at least three people who each proposed the right amount of temps. In other words, if I wanted to book an all-day Arduino workshop for next Saturday, I would have to propose this publicly on the website and other people, at least three, would have to jointly propose the right amount of temp to fund it. And that's not funding it economically, that's demonstrating the interest of the collective. Yeah, you described it very well and... uh... Maybe it reminds me just some of our reasons why we decided to build it like that, because we realized while organizing culture for for years that often people say that they will come and they don't come. A lot of effort is made in order to to plan and, and, and organize the event, and then the response is much lower than we were actually expecting. And in this way, we kind of felt like we want to secure people's participation because somebody is like okay I already was like supporting the idea from the beginning I pledged for it and uh, we were hoping this might bring the result of a, of, a, of a bigger involvement and did it no no because people who had a lot of temps for various reasons because it's very important to be said that temps you were not receiving just through your participation but also if you wanted to donate to to temporary there was usually a box or you could give it to John or me like uh, you could buy in a way your your points your temps so let's say you give uh, 50 euros because you have a spare cash whatever and you are like temporary so much and you would be getting for this 50 temps so it was like a one-to-one exchange system and uh, basically, John and I, so people who were paying the rent basically from our pockets, fed by the foundation money, uh, which we get, got the grant uh, from, we were the richest people at Temporary, talking about how many tokens we got. So therefore, we were the most powerful, and therefore, I have to admit uh, that I've done it a couple of times, that I pledged to the events, uh, which maybe I wouldn't pledge if I would be poorer in that real. I just wanted to spend it. Right, but you were also, in a sense, fairly or unfairly, you were providing seed money for the experiment. Right. So that you were investing temps in events which might not otherwise have happened in order to see what happened when the event did take place. Yeah. But the problem with this, which I remember talking to both you and John about at the time, is how the temps arose. Because the temps didn't have scarcity built into them at all, as, as money does. 
Mm-hmm. Or indeed, as time banks do. I mean, time banks have a kind of scarcity built into them in the sense that both of us only have 168 hours in a week and then we have to carve out some of that for sleep and some of that for eating etc so we neither you nor I could actually pledge 200 hours for a time bank for our contribution for next week right but with temps I never quite understood where the scarcity came in the sense that I never quite understood why they weren't capable of being manufactured infinitely. I mean, bits, bitcoins deliberately have scarcity built into them, don't they? Precisely mm-hmm. because if they don't, they become either infinitely valuable or not valuable at all. Mm-hmm. So was that a problem, do you think, in temporary? It was, it was for sure the problem. I mean, it depends how you see, see it, because or we had not enough of ways how to spend them, or we should have developed a system, for example, how they devaluate. We could think also that if the temps are not being spent, they anyways, they are devaluated after three months or something. So this could be kind of a system which would be self-resetting itself uh, from time to time. And this was, I think, the option which we were considering. It never happened. And for example, like temporary, as the name says, it was temporary, so it finished its operation after one year. We had a lot of temps in the system. I don't remember now the number, but it was really a lot of unused temps, which could indicate that the economy of the venue, there was something not right with it, right? <laughs> right. If you'd managed to get little involved, mm-hmm. and we could go, go and spend, spend our temps on cider or something, then it might have trickled into the economy and started to, to gain a, a, a value, a, a value which would mean that people would sit through workshops they mightn't have thought they were interested in in order to get their temps. See, I think that wasn't that one of the issues in the end, that people had temps and were willing to sponsor other events, but without the one-for-one exchange for cider at Little, people weren't necessarily willing to attend difficult events in order to get the temps. But the primary or... When we were creating temporary, uh, this was just a one part of a bigger system we were thinking of. And therefore, this Ethereum-based uh, uh, tokens uh, came into being because if we, would be, uh, if we would like to limit the whole idea uh, just to temporary, of course, we wouldn't bother with any uh, blockchain. This would be um, just complicating life for no reason. And our idea was to, um, to basically create a network of the organizations, spaces, places, probably mostly, maybe not with uh, as little, but um, maybe more culture-related uh, venues, where similar system could be in place, and therefore your points could be spent and earned not just in one place in Helsinki, so uh, the system was uh, aimed to be a network of organizations, let's say. Right, so this was a prototype, this was a proof of concept. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, the, the larger concept of, uh, of this network, uh, we named Biathlon, uh, so as this discipline where you do two things at once and kind of uh, we were somehow very excited about this uh, concept. And the temporary was kind of a case study for that. So it should be seen like this. Okay, and after a year, temporary stopped because, as you said earlier, 
it was always intended to be temporary, which is why it was. Yeah, we were out. also a bit pushed by the other circumstances because there was a huge renovation in the courtyard mm. of the of the space which we were renting, and it became quite impossible to stay there. After temporary, though, you did start a second project, a second case study, or at least members from temporary, who included you and John, started a second case study, which was called Kuzi Pala. Right. This is how it happened. So we are still in 2000, September 2016. Uh, temporary is being closed and a huge renovation is ongoing. Uh, but we knew we can uh, take back the space after the new year in 2017. I guess so, yeah. So I think that we were estimating that from March on we could start to do the things again there. And uh, with, uh, with people who are supporters of Temporary, we started the discussions. Do we want to do something next? Do we want to reuse some of the um, rules and discoveries we made together at Temporary? And uh, we've been discussing uh, on it, uh, about it, I guess, since from January to March, like how to do it. And it was quite a struggle, I have to say. And the main aim, or at least the main interest for me and John was how to sustain the economical side of the, of the space because the grant from the foundation which we've mentioned already was running out and also our aim or interest was like a, can we redefine the ways of doing culture outside of, the, of quite obvious you know, grant systems in Finland and uh, can, we, can we find a third way in a way so between funded art and art which is totally kind of a hobby like and doesn't involve any money is there something in between and therefore Kusipala so the, the kind of a second incarnation of a, of a biathlon was quite similar to temporary but there was one very important difference So Temporary didn't have any formal existence. It was just me and John doing stuff and some people around. And not some people. It was quite uh, many people at the end in the system. I guess counted in hundreds. But Kusipala um, had legal form of a cooperative. And uh, through buying a share in the cooperative, you were becoming a part of Kusipala. You had uh, access to, to the space and you were part of the whole system, which was kind of a copy of the system from temporary, maybe with some updates, and from this money the rental fee was covered. So we had uh, every three months, because this was kind of our financing periods, this is what we decided to do, we had to collect uh, or sell uh, I think 100 shares, each one was worth 50 euros, and from this we were covering the rent for the next three months. And that lasted for approximately a year, is that right? No, it was much, much shorter. It was actually just one season. Oh, so really? it was three months, yes. It started, it started with people buying... I bought a share. It started with people buying shares. And are you saying that people didn't buy shares for the second season? Well, that would be too simple to say. Of course, technically it happened so, but then it's a question why they didn't buy the, the share and they bought it the first time. Because it kind of doesn't make sense. Theoretically, it should be much more difficult to sell the shares for the first time when people do not know how, to, how it will look, if actually it will be collected. And theoretically, after the first season, you would be like, okay, it works, nice people there. I will, I, I will pay this 50 euros for the next three months to hang out, to have my working space there. In a way, to do whatever you want, because this was the, the aim, to kind of uh, give the space for things to happen. And um, 
problem of temporary and, and therefore Kusi Palace, its continuation, was that a temporary, it was in a way John and I who were financially supporting the place. And my very strong realization after one year was that because of this, that we were financially committed, it was very hard for people to start to own the space. And uh, however they would be involved, more or lesser, there were different waves of different crowds. But uh, there was always this feeling that the power was still in the hands of John and mine. And uh, through Kusipala, we wanted to change it also, since we had a bigger amount of stakeholders. But since we even didn't change the physical venue, the crowd was more or less quite similar. Actually, so many of our stakeholders, they never came to the venue, which for me was like unbelievable. You pay 50 euros, some people you never met, and then you even don't come to, to say hi. <laughs> so what happened then? Let me just go over this to make sure I understand it correctly. So for a year, temporary ran, and both conceptually and practically, the problem was that it was your and John's space that you were good-heartedly giving out for community use and nobody else ever had the power to say shut up John we're not going to do that we're going to do this so then you started with Kuzipala recognizing that problem you started something that would be completely collectively owned and in which you and John would simply be two founder members along with several dozen other founder members Mm-hmm. And what happened was that everybody, you and John and me and numbers of other people, put their 50 euros in for their membership and then most of them never turned up. Yes. But it's also, it's, it's also not quite that simple because after the first season ended, and this is the reason I, earlier I was confused about how long it actually lasted, there were a series of newsletters and meetings which didn't seem to involve you or John or at least have you at their centre in which a board was either elected or going to be elected yes, yes, and yes, in which yes. plans were going to be made to continue it. Yes, because since um, since uh, Kusipala was a cooperative it had uh, it had its board since formally it's uh, needed and neither John or I we've been part of the board so in a way these things it was also our decision to, to give it away to, to people who would be interested to, to run it, but that's it, no? So uh, we kind of had to accept whatever will happen with it. Now, accepting that, so what, what, what actually happened with it was that at the end of the first season, there were at least 30 or so people, must have been 50 people, or, or it would have paid for its first season, is that correct? Yes, because there was 100 shares, so some people bought more, more of one. them or less. So there were at least 50 or 60 people who claimed some degree of ownership over the space and the concept, and some of those people had never turned up, but many of those people had turned up once, twice, sometimes people turned up once or twice a week, didn't they? So then the board announced that we have the space and we now need to fund the second season and we will have meetings about this. And then a process occurred, which in the end, looking at it from the outside, because I wasn't on the board, appeared to result in the organisation imploding. Mm. So what actually happened? Why did the board not manage to maintain a constituency to push it forward? I would say that I wouldn't blame, first of all, a board, the, the board of, of Kusipala for that. This is, I'm very far away from it. 
I think this whole experience and, 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 the, and the process made me realize that this form of temporary and therefore farther of Kulsipala was, was in a way a magnet to the particular type of people. And those were people which in the majority, not all of course, but big part of those people, and at least people who were the most involved at times, they were quite precarious, because who will be able to spend a lot of time to hang out, to organize things, if not a person who doesn't have a stable job, who may most likely doesn't have a couple of kids out there. And um, those were people who could at times commit to the, to the to build up the space. But then those people also, since their, their, their uh, lifestyles were quite precarious, were not able to commit for extended periods periods of times and I do believe that in order to build space like this it has to have a very strong continuity so somebody which you know that or the core group of people that you know okay we can commit this amount of hours and this is what very um, kind of a you know being realistic we can make what kind of work we can make in that time and since it was very hard to say if if the person will be still around or if somebody doesn't get some work to do it was very hard to, to plan anything and therefore it's not very feasible to, to make decisions, to make um, long-term plans. If we think about the future then, and if you were to imagine doing this experiment again, trying to find some way of democratising a cultural space and encouraging people to take control of the space and manage it communally, what, what have you learned from temporary and Kuzipala? I think it's very important to, um, to establish clear rules from the very beginning of the, of the whole process. And I think that uh, we started our collaboration and this whole project quite, quite spontaneously with John. And I think that maybe people who would like to be part of it or they would like to join this process if the rules are not clear, then you do not know where is the access point, where where to start from, and um, that could be a part of a problem. So I think I would be really much more explicit from the very beginning uh, how this all works. Okay, so Temporary and Kuzipala as case studies have both ended. And I know you previously said when we've been talking that you intend documenting this at some point. Mm-hmm. But is the biathlon experiment itself still continuing? Well, it's kind of a. I'm not sure if it's if it's um, if it's ended or it's just in some kind of a frozen stage. It's either or, and I don't know if it will it will ever wake up from that sleep. But it's asleep. This is how I would call it. Uh, either. John or I, we are not doing any efforts to, to, to push it any farther. Uh, however, of course, everybody of us is still interested in those themes and we r- keep working on it in some ways. But um, uh, working on biathlon it was such an, an intense experience and we, I guess, felt that we hit a wall in some way, that we realized that Uh, hitting the wall even stronger will not help anything and we just need to step out and maybe come back to it one day or just do something very else (laughs) and 
Okay, well I hope whichever way you do it, uh, you do eventually uh, write it all up. Yes, I kind of don't worry about it. I never personally, uh, and I don't talk here for, uh, for John, You actually you should have uh, exactly the same questions asking him, and I'm sure you would have very different talk, but uh, to me it, I never saw it as a failure or something which made me feel, oh my God, this is what I believe in, you know, is so misunderstood or something. It was never like this. And I was always very happy to to have a possibility to do this experiment and and uh, experiments and learn from them really a lot because there were some conclusions uh, which, which, which for me were, were very apparent after those two years. Um, which probably it would be very hard for me to to come up with these conclusions otherwise. Before we stop, let me just ask you one final question, which I meant to ask you in the middle of this conversation and didn't, so I'm sticking it in at the end. Appendix 1. One of the things you and John did in both of these experiments was not have any social media presence. Right. And you actually had a mail-out which was not emailed was actually posted to people in envelopes with real stamps on once a month or so now I like that and I think it was uh, unusual and uh, a statement of position but what made you do that what was the thought process that led you to do that well, since since I do believe that through the existence of biathlon, we were we were uh, also questioning the stru- the structures of uh, cultural production as they are. We were also questioning the systems how we how we actually promote culture these days. And uh, at least in Helsinki, it functions like this: that if your event is not on on Facebook, nobody will get to know about it. It's very hard to... I mean, of course, there are maybe some mailing lists at the universities or in some certain communities, but um, we also wanted to experiment on alternative ways of like uh, how you actually you can attract people for, for being a part of something and thus uh, putting an event on Facebook is really so unique or... Or, or so uh, visible in the in a whole you know ocean of other events. Um, in the case of Kusipala, so when it became a cooperative, it was a de- collective decision uh, of establishing a Facebook group. So actually, Kusipala has had a and still has a Facebook group, which um, we believed as any format of uh, you know uh, Facebook formats was the most appropriate for our structure since there is no one particular manager of the web page and whomever was becoming a member of the group was also automatically an administrator so um, and if somebody wanted to advertise their event uh, you could anyway repost it on the group so it was kind of uh, functioning for it but uh, since we were trying to decentralize the roles in, in the whole construction we've been building we realized that having a Facebook account is extremely centralized uh, activity. Not talking about how Facebook is being managed, this is totally different chapter, but uh, it's also quite centralized, to be honest. So uh, this was the, the, the choice to experiment with. Um, 
but uh, yes, for sure, it uh, it it um, added to to kind of a awkwardness of temporary or cozy <laughs> pala. <laughs> yeah, and it's not. I can't imagine why groups who are allegedly radical find it necessary to go onto Facebook in order, in practice, to reach 84 people. Now I can, if you're organising organizing a mass protest and you really do believe that you'll get a million viewers and that half of them might turn up to the protest, then I can see precisely why that wouldn't work with postcards. But you see, then it depends what the protest is for, which you hear very uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, as an, as an example you are talking, because let's imagine that it's a protest against, you know, some leak of private data. Then is advertising it on Facebook okay or mm. not really? And to me, uh, and, and I believe also John, it was a lot also about, so... Can we, as a as a as a collective who really wants to question the way how we organize things and how structures, what structures are ruling our lives, can can we, with uh, you know, uh, um, without reflecting on that, just use Facebook because everybody is there? It's kind of not enough, right? I agree. I'm I'm actually, I was going to say I'm totally shocked, but if I'm ever totally shocked about anything, in that sense, it is about the way in which people seem to assume it's necessary and assume it's too late to do anything about it and assume that if you're not on it, you're not anywhere and then we discover through Facebook's own advertising strategies that we're in fact talking about reaching 83 people but we're selling our whatever, our credibility our soul our, our at the very least we're in, riddling ourselves with unnecessary contradictions right? just in order to do it and I'm, I'm curious about this ok but let's leave that there then and before we get on to doing two episodes worth <laughs> alright uh, thank you very much thank you very much